The Bible says you have to be a righteous person. That means, number one, you've been saved and Christ has given you his righteousness and salvation. But in the context of this passage and reading the book of James, it also is talking about experiential, practical righteousness. We're talking about someone who knows that God heareth not sinners. We're talking about someone that keeps on the breastplate of righteousness over their heart. Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about someone that knows if they regard iniquity in their heart, the Lord will not hear them. A few years ago, I was reading this passage and suddenly I laid hold of one of the greatest motivations in my life to seek to live a holy, righteous, pure life. So I can be a powerful conduit of prayer. Now the Bible says be holy, for God is holy. And that ought to be the number one reason to want to live a holy life and a righteous life and walk in obedience to the Lord. Literally fear what sin can do in breaking your fellowship with God. But a great motivation is it will weaken your prayer life if you're not committed to walk in obedience to the word of God. What a motivation. Do you want your prayers to have, Bible now, great power? Walk in obedience to the Lord. When you do sin, immediately. Confess that sin sincerely. Stay in fellowship with God. So that's the scripture that declares it. Now I want to share with you some saints that illustrate it. There are so, so many. And ladies, I really struggled uh, about putting a woman in here because some of the greatest prayer warriors in the Bible have been women. Uh, I think of Anna during the Christmas story of Christ and how she had uh, dedicated herself to prayer in the temple and saw the Christ child when he was dedicated. And uh, I looked at Hannah, uh, sometimes look at uh, that dear woman who was childless in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And oh, Israel was in such a mess and they needed a pure prophet of God and priest of God. And, and she prayed and God gave her Samuel. And what a difference he made. In the life of Israel, and it was uh, after Saul that Samuel anointed David, the greatest king that ever ruled over Israel. Where did it start? It started with Hannah's prayer. That's where it started. But anyway, the three examples I've chosen, and I need to get to it, are some of the best known in the Bible. And the first one is Abraham. Turn to Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to see an example of the power of just one person committed to prayer. Genesis chapter 18, beginning with verse 22. The context is God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, there were five cities in this plain. And since Abraham was a friend of God, the Bible calls him that. I think that's in the book of James. Abraham was a friend of God. You know, when people really want to stay close to God, he will tell them things. He may not audibly tell it to them, but he will show his children things that are about to happen so we can intercede. And he tells Abraham what he's about to do. And uh, Abraham 
has mercy, Abraham has compassion, and Abraham has a nephew living in Sodom. And when we get to his last request for ten people, it's interesting that at that time, Lot's family consisted of ten. Two unmarried boys, I think that's right, two married daughters, two unmarried daughters, and then Lot and his wife. Anyway, I studied it, and it's ten. Maybe that's why he stopped at ten. Perhaps not. So Abraham intercedes. God's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Pick up with verse 22. We won't be able to read it all. We'll skip around some. So the men. Now these were angels who were in the appearance of men. And also Christ was there. He's called the messenger of the Lord. And sometimes in the Old Testament, before the incarnation, he would appear in human form. Now the men, the two angel angels, are headed towards Sodom and Gomorrah. But the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, is still there. And what does Abraham do? But Abraham stood still before the Lord, verse 23, then Abraham drew near. Isn't it awesome to think we can draw near to God? You'll never be as near to God as you are when you pray. Abraham drew near and said, and he's so humble and so respectful, and he bases his prayer, all of these great intercessors base their prayer, as David said earlier, on what would glorify the Lord. That was their ultimate basis. They based it on the character of God. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. He's giving glory to God. He's appealing to the great mercy and righteousness of God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. That's awesome. God's getting ready to wipe them out. And one man intercedes and says, Lord, what if there are just 50 righteous there? And God says, Okay, I'll spare it. Do you realize how powerful that is? Well, it gets more powerful. Most of you know the story. Abraham, in a very humble way, says, well, what if five are subtracted from 50 and, and there are 45 in verse 28? And God says, I'll spare it for 45. And then, you know, he goes to 40. Suppose 40 are found there. God said, I'd spare it for 40. Then he says, oh, Lord, what if 30? God said, I'll spare it for 30. He's not arguing with God. He's just pleading with God. Suppose 20, and God said, I'll spare it for 20. And in verse 32, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And he said, suppose 10 are found there. And God answered and said, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Wow. What about us praying for this country? 
Was it Billy Graham's wife that said years ago, if God didn't destroy America, he would need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah? (laughs) I don't know whether you've looked around, folks, but it's hard to believe how sinful and wicked and away from God and the Ten Commandments this nation is. Could we not appeal to God? Lord, I have children. Lord, I have grandchildren that are going to grow up in this country. Lord, I have great-grandchildren that are grow up in this country. And God, I, I know this country deserves judgment, but Lord, look down upon your remnant. Look down upon your born-again believers. Oh, Lord God, would you spare America for the sake of the righteous? Oh, the potential there. Verse 33, and the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Please notice who closes prayer. God closes prayer. Do you know that? And when God finished speaking to Abraham, then Abraham returned to his place. It's called, and you've heard me say it before, praying through something. Paul prayed through the thorn in the flesh. I don't think that three times is a literal three. It's a special number referring back to when Christ prayed three times. He prayed through things in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are some things I've been praying for for years and the Lord has not impressed upon me to stop praying for them. So pray until the Lord seems to impress upon you. It's time to cease praying for now. Okay, so there's Abraham. The second example is Moses. Now, the story of this is in Exodus chapter 32, but we don't have time to read the story, so I want you to see what I found in the Psalms that sums it up. Psalm 106 and verse 23. Again, this story is found in Exodus chapter 32. Read it sometimes, but we'll sum it up in Psalm 106, verse 23. The power of just one person praying. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. God's getting ready to destroy the children of Israel. Now, why? Well, when you go to Exodus 32, Moses has been on the Mount Sinai getting the commandments of God for 40 days. He comes down from the mountain with the two tablets of stone, and what does he find? He finds that the children of Israel have built or molded a golden calf, one of the uh, idols of Egypt from whence they had been delivered. They had molded a golden calf. They were worshiping the golden calf, and they were having, I don't know if it was a New Year's Eve party or not, it was a horrible party. Oh, it was so, they were drinking, they were having horrible, immoral sexual relations. And Moses comes down and he sees that and God says to Moses, this is my paraphrase, scoot over Moses, I'm getting ready to wipe the whole lot of them out. And we're going to just start all over with you. Kind of like with Noah and his family or Abraham. That's what God said. That's what God said. But you know what happened? One man. Look at the verse 23, Psalm 106. Therefore he, God said he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one. And if you're saved, you are as much a chosen one as Moses. Stood in the breach before him, before God. And you read about it. He interceded. 
And it was based on God's reputation, God's character, God's glory to turn away his God's wrath from destroying them. The awesome power of just one man praying. And so God relented. Now this gives some folks problems. They say, isn't God all-knowing? Yes, did God know that he would end up sparing his wrath upon them at that time? Yes, but now here's the awesome, awesome, awesome thing about prayer. God is sovereign. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, where he wants. But God has chosen to coincide his working with our praying. Amazing. Amazing. That's why prayer is so very important. It moves the heart that moves the hand of Almighty God. And I can't think of anything more powerful than that. Well, the third example carries us right back to our beginning text. Turn back to James. It's Elijah. Old Elijah, he was one of the most flamboyant of all of Israel's Old Testament prophets. Oh, he was one of their heroes of faith for sure. So we go back to our text. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And then he gives an example in verse 17 of James chapter 5. Elijah. And I love this. It's why I've saved it for last. He was a man with a nature like ours. I know what we have a tendency to think. Oh, well, Brother Jack. Yes, uh, Abraham prayed and, and uh, it had great potential power. Uh, just ten if they were found there righteous. But they weren't. God would have spared Sodom. But that was Abraham. And we're just measly Christians. Oh yeah, and Moses, but that was Moses, but we're just New Testament believers. Do you see this about Elijah? It's here. This is one of James's emphasis. Don't think prayer power is just for some elite group of Christians. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross. It's called the priesthood of the believer. No Christian has any more access than another Christian to come before the throne of God in prayer through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. No, you may not be able to sing. No, you may not be able to preach or teach. No, you may be too shy to even get up in front of people. But you can pray. And I can't think of anything more powerful and that accomplishes as much as prayer. Do you see it? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, he was a righteous man, no two ways about it. But remember, he hungered. I mean, you read about this in 1 Kings 18. He hungered, he thirsted, he grew tired, he grew weary, just like we do. He became depressed and even said, God, I just... Want to die, he became self-absorbed. There's only one man in Israel, Lord, that worships you, and that's me, nobody else. And God had to remind him, get out of your pity party, Elijah. There's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah 
was a human being just like we are. And yet the prayers of this man were powerful very quickly. The scripture says he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. This was God's discipline toward his people because they had turned away from him. They were turning to Baal worship. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This man who had a nature just like us, literally, through his prayers, God shut the windows of heaven as a form of discipline and then opened the windows of heaven after three and a half years of drought. When you go to 1 Kings 18, you'll find that he goes up on Mount Carmel and he sits down and he puts his head between his knees, Elijah. What's he doing? He's praying. James tells us what he was doing. And he has a servant and he tells the servant, he said, go look toward the sea. I suppose the Mediterranean, I'm not sure. Go look toward the sea and see if you see a cloud. The servant comes back. Nope, not a cloud in the sky. Head goes down, he prays fervently. Go back again. He does this seven times. Now what, seven? Praying it through. It's the number of completion. And on the seventh time, his servant comes back and says, Elijah, there's just a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah tells Ahab, you better get in your chariot and head back to town because it's getting ready to rain so hard and get so muddy, your chariot's going to get stuck in the mud. Wow! What a good New Year's resolution to become a person given to prayer. Now next Sunday we're going to see what that entails. But let me close out with this, an invitation that seeks that one person. Ezekiel 22:30. again God is about to judge Judah. But before God does that, he searches for a Moses. He searches for an Abraham. He searches for you. Because he works. He's not dependent upon. He and his sovereignty has chosen to work in the midst of and in coincidence with our prayers. I searched for a man, not men, just one man. Among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap. You know what gap means. It's not a store where kids go to get clothes. It means God answers prayer. Gap. God said, I searched to see if I could find just one person who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found none and judgment came. Whoa. I told Marcia, the middle of last week, I said, I think on New Year's Sunday, I'm going to preach on the power of just one person pray. And I've been reading through Isaiah in my quiet time. And the next morning, I was in Isaiah 59, 16, and there was this verse. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So when Marcia got up, 
I said, well, I know I'm going to preach on the power of one person praying. Look at this scripture that I read today in my quiet time. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. You know what Marcia said? She said, you don't find God amazed that often in scripture. God was amazed that he has given to his people this tremendous, mighty weapon of spiritual warfare, prayer. And we hardly pick it up. It amazes him. Would you pray with me right now? Just bow your heads in prayer. Would you be that person? The power of one person given to prayer. I am pretty confident in saying... Probably everyone here prays. I don't think you could be a Christian and not pray. And you're blessed by your prayers. We all could give testimonies. But are you given to prayer? Like the scripture tells us we should be given to prayer. It's not going to make you a weirdo. It's just going to bless you. It may cause you to be a little more serious about life. You'll find that God will be a special friend to you. He will whisper things in your ear that are about to happen. So you will intercede because he knows he can trust you to be an intercessor. Oh, would you be willing to be that one person in 2017? that would be given to a life of prayer. Move mountains everywhere. Your life, your family's life, your community's life, all over the world. You say, I may not understand all that means. I think we'll understand more, the Lord willing, when we look next week at how Jesus was given to prayer and what it really means. But you don't have to understand it all. It's in the Word, and the Spirit is speaking, and God is looking for people who will stand in the gap. And would you be willing today, you can make this commitment right where you sit in your heart today. It'll be easy to remember the date, January the 1st, 2017, is when I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to be that person who stands in the gap and prays. Oh, I hope, I hope today. I hope all of us would say that, but if just one says it, it will accomplish untold things for the Lord. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you don't even have access to the throne of God because we've all sinned. And it's because he died on the cross and paid off our sin that we can accept him as Savior and our sin can be forgiven. And through Jesus Christ and his righteousness, we can approach the holy throne of God in prayer. And that's where it starts. If you've never trusted Christ and received him as Lord and Savior of your life, but today you know you need to come during this invitation time and say, yes, I'm confessing Christ 
as my Savior and my Lord. If the Lord is leading you to move your church letter and to become a part of this wonderful church, now would be the time for you to come forward and register that decision. May God bless you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Brother David.